the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Welcome to hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. Glad to have you along. 94.5 in Dayton, 98.9 in Columbus. You can dial the show, 844-TALK-989, 844-TALK-989. You can also use that number to leave a comment after the show or before the show. Uh, You can leave it on the voicemail. We'll listen to it. And if it's, um, I guess for this show, if it's uh, intolerant of the, uh, you know, liberal compassion and if it doesn't hold people personally accountable for their actions and doesn't advocate for consequences, um, well, then it'll end up on the scrap heap because there's enough of that garbage out there. Uh, no, I'm a big consequences guy. I'm a big punishment guy. Um, I was grounded as a kid, sufficiently so, to keep me in line. Guardrails are good. Lines on highways are good. They keep us in safe areas. And the more you watch the network news coverage today or the local news coverage today, crime is a major problem in this country, and it has advanced to the point where things are happening that you just look at and think, I'm the frog that's been boiled in the pot because I'm looking at someone walking up to someone on a street in New York City and sucker punching them from behind. And the person who gets sucker punched is in the hospital with a brain injury and may not survive. And the guy who did it is out on bail and charged with a misdemeanor. Now, I know Governor Kathy Hochul has intervened and that guy is now in jail. But it was only because the video was so graphic. If there had been no video and people had not seen it, she would not have seen a political opportunity to do something. It's not just New York City. It's everywhere. Last night here in Columbus, we had police called uh, to the Wedgwood Village Apartments, where there were multiple people with firearms. There was shooting. Uh, One of the officers had to fire his weapon, so he obviously felt like his life was in jeopardy. Uh, No one was hit. They had four firearms recovered at the scene. They took one juvenile and two adults into custody. This is a pretty common occurrence. Pretty common occurrence. We're nearing 100 murders in the city of Columbus, and the city of Columbus is saying, hey, 100. That's awesome. Last year we had 20-whatever. And the year before that, we set a record with well over 100. So here in Columbus, they're portraying it like, "Mm, murders are going down. What's the problem, Bruce? Well, the problem is, uh, I used to live in a city that was so lawless that literally anytime you drove into downtown, you were told that you were taking your life in your hands. I'm talking about Miami, Florida in the late 1980s, the height of the Miami vice boom, the height of the cocaine trafficking, drug wars. I remember the week that I took a job 
in Miami at the now defunct Miami News. And the lead story, the lead story in Miami was that a drug lord had ordered an ex-girlfriend's left leg to be cut off. Her left leg. He was precise in his orders that her left leg be cut off because he still wanted her to be able to drive a car. So he was a compassionate criminal. That's how bad Miami was. So I was interested last night to see Miami's mayor on Tucker Carlson. Uh, Miami's mayor is Francis Suarez. He's a kid who grew up in Miami. And he was on not to talk about his murder rate like Baltimore's, Portland's, New York's, L.A., San Francisco, Columbus. He was not on to discuss what's gone wrong in Miami. He was on to discuss how Miami is different and, more importantly, why Miami is different. Listen to what Republican Mayor Francis Suarez of Miami says has brought about the Miami miracle, as he called it. And listen closely to hear what the murder rate so far in the city of Miami is this year. I grew up in Miami. I was born and raised there. I was born in 1977. You know, in the 80s, we had 300-plus homicides. Right now, and I knock on wood here in the, in the studio, we are at uh, 28 year-to-date. Uh, so from 300-plus uh, to 28, and we're hoping uh, the trend continues for the rest of the year. And uh, they're literally, we have to look back in our archives to see uh, when was the last time uh, we were ever that low. And so, like I said, you know, it, it's really a, a, a trusted and true uh, you know, formula for success. We keep taxes mm-hmm. low. We keep people safe, and we lean into innovation to create high-paying jobs. It's uh, sort of the the Miami story, and uh, it's something that uh, should be scaled across America. Yes, but it won't be because Francis Suarez's policies in Miami, where he's cut taxes and increased funding for police and punished criminals, are Republican policies. They are not Democratic policies. So those policies will not proliferate in Columbus in Dayton, in Cleveland, in Cincinnati, or in other major cities. And what you will see is the kind of crime that we see, the kind of crime we have seen, and most likely the kind of crime that we will continue to see. Now, the disagreement between these two perspectives on how to reduce crime here at home and in other cities came to light yesterday on this show at this hour when a woman named Joan from Dayton called. Now, Joan called because she wanted to, she said, educate me on the error that I was putting forward about the fact that not enough punishment results from kids stealing cars in Columbus, that they're let out quickly and they're back on the street and the cops that I talk to tell me they're stealing more cars sometimes the same day. We had an instance where we had a 14-year-old kid survived a rollover crash that killed two of his friends, also 14 years old. And two weeks later, he was driving another stolen car, and he crashed it into a garbage truck. We had a 16-year-old, came out of a Turkey Hill. Whitehall police officers have his car penned in with their cars. They have their guns drawn because they're not sure if he has a gun. He gets in the car. He tries to ram the police cruisers, get away, and when they finally pull him out, he's laughing at them, 16 years old. So my theory is, We're not punishing these kids harshly enough because they're not learning their lessons. Uh, Joan had a different opinion. 
And uh, this is the point of the call where uh, Joan and I parted ways on our approach to how to fix the crime problem in our cities. So I just kind of wanted to share some additional information um, that maybe might be helpful Mm -hmm. um, with some of the topics in the article that it seems like maybe you were struggling with. Um, And so one organization that I think might be very helpful to direct you to would be the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Um, And they actually launched uh, the JDAI program, the Juvenile Detention Initiative, uh, Alternative Initiatives, JDAI, um, which quite a few counties here in Ohio are a partner of. They have uh, kind of jumped into that initiative and agreed to do, and it kind of highlights those things that you were talking about as far as reducing those incarceration rates for juveniles. And um, there is a lot that goes into play there that you were kind of already talking about as far as development, um, brain development, why it's different for juveniles than it is for adults. Um, but you have to really think about the time period and the context and what things look like years and years ago or even a couple years ago. Why? So just a couple years ago. Do you think – let me um, ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you, yeah. think, do you think teenagers who commit crimes are unclear on what is lawful or unlawful? Do you think teenagers are – unaware of that. You talked about their brain development. I'm, I'm fully on board with that. I know the human brain is not, uh, the reason part of the brain does not develop until age 25. So I'm on board with that. But I think it, in terms of crime or no crime, do you think a juvenile or any person is unclear about what is right and wrong or what is lawful or unlawful? In some cases, yes. That so is you think there are kids case. that are unclear about whether stealing a car is allowed or not allowed? Stealing a gun uh, is allowed or not allowed? No, Robbing that's a store? not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you look at Annie Casey and the work they're doing with JDAI, what they're saying is if you take this kid that just stole a car and maybe it was their first time ever stealing a car and mm-hmm. we don't really stole that car, but then you put them in jail with a person that's stealing drugs. We haven't really given them any solutions to solve that problem going on in their home or deal with any of the trauma. Now we put them in the same Closed space with somebody that sells drugs. Yeah, so I get your I get your concern. Sell drugs. I get your concern, but here's my point: if a kid has stolen a car, that's way down the road of antisocial behavior, and I believe the first duty that is not the, true at all. <laughs> well, I will just disagree on that because I believe the first I'm a duty of government. So I think as the professional here, I can say that that is not well, only a symptom of antisocial behavior. Look, I, I understand the perspective you're coming at it from. And you uh, obviously don't have any interest in the perspective that I'm coming at it from. I believe the first duty of government is to protect well, the citizen. Well, I actually, my reason for coming on this was to try to help educate you because it well, seemed like I, you had missing information. I, I, and so I was just so trying can, to provide you from additional information. No, I, if you're I'm, not interested in being educated on the topic that you were talking about, then I have no interest in this conversation either. So thank you so much for being so close-minded and have a great day. Uh, I did have a great day. And uh, she emailed me, which was nice. And I have her email, and I will share her email with you. Uh, but I, again, come at this from the perspective that what you're trying, this kindness approach, this compassionate approach, this understanding approach, I would just ask, if it's working like you claim it's working, why are we on pace for record number of car thefts? Why have we had record murder totals the last two years? If it's working, would that be the case? So as I said yesterday, 
I got a call in this hour of the program from a uh, social worker or a mental health worker or something in that vein uh, from Dayton. She did not agree with uh, nor like the fact that I would not agree with her (laughs) uh, assessment that uh, kids who steal cars, kids who commit robberies, other violent crimes, uh, I advocate for them to be punished, severely punished, so that they have a binary choice to make. I can continue doing crimes and suffering the consequences of those crimes. And if I deem the consequences of those crimes to be more unpleasant to me than whatever I gain or perceive that I gain from the crime, um, I might stop committing crimes. That's, I think, been proven by history, and that is the approach that I would favor. Uh, This person, uh, her name was Joan, who called me yesterday, uh, has a different approach. And her approach is to uh, talk to the parents, talk to the kids, counsel the kids, give them a shoulder to cry on. I'm sure give them some harsh advice too, but, you know, couched in compassion, which I have no problem with compassion. Uh, But she hung up on me. She got frustrated when I wouldn't come over to her side. Uh, She said at one point that stealing cars is not, I said, stealing cars is way down the continuum of antisocial behavior. When a kid gets to stealing a car, like he's he's far beyond your point of having a heart-to-heart talk with him and getting him to stop doing that. Like that's seriously antisocial behavior. That's a felony to steal a car. And the kid could die, and we have two 14-year-olds here in Columbus who prove my point, They could hit somebody and kill somebody else. That's proven. Or they could take the car and they could do something nefarious with it, like the kids who have twice now, twice, crashed a stolen car into the entrance to Vance's gun shop and stolen guns. So to me, like the stealing of the car is mm, a bridge too far for the compassionate, we understand you grew up in tough circumstances, but please stop stealing cars. Too far for that. I said stealing cars is way down the continuum of antisocial behavior. And she said, no, it's not. No, it's not, she said. Um, I said, do you think teens who commit crimes are unaware that their actions are unlawful? She said, in some cases, yes, they are unaware of that. Hmm. Okay. So she sent me an email. It's a nice email. I do appreciate her civility, although, you know, she got unnecessarily... Uh, frosty and hung up. She wouldn't continue the conversation, which is kind of Democrats and leftists and progressives typical response is that they'll state their case. And if you don't agree with it instantly, then they'll walk away or can't walk away on the phone. You hang up. So I'm going to tell you what I think. And if you don't agree with me, I'm not going to have you question the merits of my argument. I'm willing to have the discussion all day long. So her email says, I've been working in the juvenile court system for seven years. I'm currently embedded in a police department working with officers to address the root causes of issues on the calls they are getting and deal with the reduction to juvenile incarcerations. Okay, so that's her agenda, reduce juvenile incarcerations. So I have spoken to them. I do know what they deal with. They have shared their concerns, and I'm actively part of the group that is addressing it. Okay. I would add a word. You're attempting to address it. You're attempting. The question is not, are you attempting? The question is, are you succeeding? That is the question. Because, again, the number one role of government is to protect the citizenry. 
there are two parties involved in a crime. There's the offending party, which I call the criminal. I know you wouldn't want to call them that because that's a nasty label. So you can go for the offender. I'll say criminal. And then there's another party that's part of my equation, but is not part of your equation. The party that's part of my equation is called the victim. And it's traumatic to be a victim. And I'd like to preclude other people from becoming victims. See, if somebody has to get hurt in the process of dealing with this thing that we all agree is not a behavior we want to continue in society, if somebody has to be disadvantaged by the occurrence of that behavior, Joan, I will side 10,000 times out of 10,000 with keeping the victim from being a victim again before I will move in the direction of an experimental action that does not promise, guarantee, or portend that the offender will be an offender again. I'm about protecting the victim. And, of course, this is why Joan writes, you speak from a place of privilege. You are assuming that all of these children are raised in such privileged homes with such moral parents. No, I'm actually not assuming that. These parents must have taught them right from wrong and provided them with all their basic needs. They must have never had multiple changes in caregivers or even grown up in institutions outside of their control. No, I'm well aware that that's the case. I'm well aware that that's the case. But it doesn't excuse them creating victims of innocent people. See, I I will readily acknowledge that it's tough growing up in certain environments if your parents are drug addicts, if you're living in tough circumstances, if there's gunfire outside your doors. I will absolutely acknowledge that all day long. What I will not agree with is that that justifies kids going out and making innocent people victims. Two things can be true at once. They definitely, many of them, have grown up in tough circumstances. But what is also true is that that does not give them license to take the tough circumstances they have been dealt and penalize someone else by making them a victim. It just doesn't justify that. And the other thing about the beauty of America is that anyone can triumph over those circumstances and become something better. Now, there are ways to do it, and you don't want to hear my solutions to it because my number one solution to it is get a job and keep a job until you have a better job. Don't get a girl pregnant in high school, or if you're a girl, don't allow a guy to get you pregnant in high school. Finish school and go to a Bible-believing church where you will surround yourself, whether you believe the gospel or not, with other people who have your best interests at heart. Those are four steps you can start with. Another one is to learn the phrase, what can I do to help? Go to your teachers and every day ask, what can I do to help? Learn to be a servant. You gain a perspective that other people's lives and what they want and need is as important or more important than what you want. My way works. Your way is experimental. And the numbers tell me it's not working. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.